I'm sure Bach had some ghosts. Or like Mozart had probably ghosts. Oh, definitely, I yeah. Think. All right, I also am going to take a quick dump. So, all right, let's all do you, it together. You, you heard it here, audience. We're all going to go take a shit. We'll see you when we get back. Sounds good. Let's hold hands. No. We went down the rivers. We crossed the plains. Over the mountains, we fought in streams. We went west. We trapped, we mined, we carved our names. With guns and axes, we sought our fame. Our destiny was manifest. And God helped those who stood in the way of business, progress, and the USA. USA. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to How the West Was Fucked. Hi. How? God damn it. <laughs> I even put the up my hand. Jesus. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I even did, like, body language to say, like, okay, I know you're going to do the thing, do the thing. Doesn't fucking matter. Welcome back to How the West Was Fucked. Um... Yeah, I think today we're going to talk about, I think, Will, we're talking about Joe Meek, right? Yep, Joe Meek. Yeah, so Tony, what do you know about Joe Meek? So I, you guys texted me in the wrong text thread, and I saw that we were going to be doing Joe Meek, so I thought I'd get sneaky and actually, like, like bone up on the subject, because I fucking that's actually know this guy. I actually know you fucked up and sent it to me, verboten. so that's on you. All right, so what do you think you know about Joe Meek? Because you I probably think... read some goddamn, like... National th- Enquirer <laughs> bullshit. Fucking. It's that's what Batboy's real name is. No, for real. Um, Robert George Meek was born on April of 1929, but of course he went by Joe. From a young age, Joe was a performer. As a young boy, he had a shed out back of his family's house, where he would dress up as friends in costumes, put on plays. To, what? I'm gonna have to pump the brakes like kind of immediately because you said his name was Robert, and of course he went by Joe. Yeah. His entire when life. When he go by Bob, when he would go by Bob, like isn't that supposed to be the the abbreviation? Well, and John gear, like, and John is Jack, and Bob's your uncle. You know. So okay, so Robert is now Joe. It is. What what the fuck? Okay. Yeah. Ever since Just... he was a baby. <laughs> uh, as a young boy, he had a shed out back of his family's house where he would dress his friends up in costumes, put on plays, and charge the local neighbors cover to attend. One of his brothers, when asked about all of it, he said that uh, most folks enjoyed the shows, but some, some of the other neighbors did not. Due some to the were fact left that, with scarring nightmare material <laughs> in their the, brains, and like, yeah. Due to the fact that Joe and other little boys in production were dressed up as little girls, so a lot of well, fun I mean, homophobia going on around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, t- but it, also, I like how that's the scariest part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. To, to quote one of Joe Meek's brothers, Eric, <clears throat> he was an indoor boy, and we were both outdoor boys. Guy has a really weird-ass accent, too. What they the fuck? Grew up in the middle of fucking nowhere in England. Uh, Joe's brothers would be out fishing, shooting most days, while Joe was out in the mm. garden shed mm. getting his next production ready and tinkering with radios, record players, and tape recorders. <clears throat> Joe Meek... It's like, cue, cue the goddamn A-team theme. Dude, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Meek was recorded saying that 
Uh, at just five years old, he expressed to his family that he wanted a gramophone for Christmas, which is uh, an old-time record player to you young kids. Uh, yeah, his, yeah. The first gramophone that his parents got him was a toy with a celluloid sound box and a key to wind it up. It uh, literally was a wind-up toy, like a fake wind-up gramophone. Yeah, I figure like that was went over like a lead balloon. Yeah. Well, it actually played a short tune, kind of akin to like a singing birthday card like you get now, right? Like a short 20-second tune. Uh, with a really crappy tinny sound. Uh, Joe soon figured out that if you wind the toy up really hard and then you yell down the tube where the sound came out, you could record sh little snippets of sound in the end groove and play them back. So what he had fuck? like endless hours of time like hacking this fucking thing and making a... Had, it started a love affair with audio recording for him, basically. Uh, at the age of 18, what Joe the joined fuck? the British Armed Forces and became a radar mechanic. <clears throat> he was well-liked around camp, uh, as he could fix every radio and every record player that anybody had, which it was the, you know, World War II, so, or post-World War II, so he, uh, he was well-liked. Everybody yeah. had fucked up. Everything was fucked up and didn't work right. Well, yeah, because you're generally, the good-ass radio was made out of, like, kind of shitty-ass shit. Yeah, well, Bakelite, I think, is what everything was made out of back then. Well, Bakelite's, like, yeah, all, all your insulating material. But yeah, the like, shitty predecessor you know, to... Well, Plastic. this is kind. Of, this kind of like it was like right when aluminum was becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of shit we know that is made out of aluminum that's nice and light was actually back then made out of like tin or something heavier and shittier. Yeah, actually, and, uh, uh, the, uh, on a side note, the the cool thing about um, home recording back then was it wasn't really a thing. There wasn't really tape or anything like that to, to that you could get your hands on as a regular person. But the the first uh, recording device that hit for homes was uh, it's called a wire recorder. And it recorded on straight up bailing wire. What the fuck? Yeah, they're crazy looking too. Uh, but yeah, you have like two two like reels of wire, uh, and they get fed through like a little recording device that like pokes little grooves in it, and that's how it what records sound. What the fuck? Yeah, shit's that's pretty fucking cool. That's kind of amazing. Uh, it's called the what? It's, it's just called a wire recorder. Yeah, uh, I think RCA was the first one to make them, or they got well, famous making them. It's like they're we cool, talked the, about the actual fucking recorder is cool looking too. We talked about how, like, barbed wire ruined a lot of lives for everybody, except for the fact he brought the telephone out to the sticks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That sounds a lot like the same thing. It's like, live by the wire, die by the wire, I suppose. Yeah. Like, you know, like, holy fuck. Yeah, it looks like a, a prop from, like, Fallout or something. It kind of does, yeah. What the absolute shit? Huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get, buy yourself a Pierce 55B dictation wire recorder. <laughs> Um, after his stint in the army, he moved to London and got a job at Stone's Radio Repair Shop. While working here, Joe started to accumulate recording gear like preamps, tape machines, and microphones. Uh, he soon moved to London in a flat where he used an extra bedroom as his first makeshift recording studio. His brother, Eric, quote, He used to have bikes all over the house and record whenever he was saying, I didn't ma It didn't matter who was there. You never knew if you was being recorded or you weren't. So that's kind of that, creepy. I'm sure that, yeah, that cultivated an air of trust and, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, shit between the roommates and, yeah. Totally. Fucking I mean, Stasi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, soon Joe landed a, a job at Lansdowne, a studio that recorded popular music of its time. This being the Whether the bands knew they were recording it or not. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, this being the mid-1950s, uh, the music at the time was really slow, boring orchestral march and choral music for the major record companies. Joe at this time was was a technical assistant engineer 
uh, but he saw himself as more of a major player in the record industry, especially since he engineered quite a few heavy hitters on British radio. <clears throat> he was a pioneer in experimental recording techniques um, about a record called Lay Down Your Arms. Uh, he what? told a radio interviewer that we used, uh, what did he say? We used, f for the marching beat, a box with gravel in it. This record is going to be a top hit. That's a literal quote. So basically, he, he's doing like radio foley and expecting kinda, yeah. it to be like it's like Pixar level. Yeah, yeah, but he's like the first guy to actually do weird shit in the you know like how you hear about like like different producers like oh I fucking pulled a gun on somebody or like I threw yeah, yeah. a marble down the stairs like I made him eat a whole live chicken. Yeah, that's he was the first guy to do it to do that kind that of was shit. Ozzy Osbourne probably did that. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, at Lansdowne Studios, to get a reverb and echo sound, they had a, a low-tech approach. This is a, how they used to do it in the old days, and a lot of places still do. You get a large room uh, that you just record a bunch of musicians in, like a big-ass room. Or, if you're if you're really sophisticated, you pump the, whatever you recorded out of a loudspeaker in a large-ass room with a microphone on the other end, and then you mix that signal back in to get, to get a... A big like kind of echo sound so now and then you release a tiger into the room absolutely yeah <laughs> otherwise it just doesn't sound right uh joe would show up to to most recording sessions uh with an old old army box that he got while he's in the military uh wrapped up with tape completely sealed up um with a plug in on one, either end like an instrument plug in either end uh he would bring it to every recording session he had and whenever asked about it he would deflect and say that it was his secret box um, essentially, it was found out later that it was, he had built the first, uh, spring reverb. So if you have a guitar amplifier at home and you plug in, you turn up the reverb on it, what you're doing is there's a little box full of springs and they're running the sound through it and getting an echo reverb sound from the springs. So he was the, like the first one to build one. And there's he just a big thing I didn't know. It was like, like, uh, that, that's how you get reverb is like, it's physically like rattling yeah. springs. Yep. Holy fuck. Yep. I thought it was more like due to like witches or something, but yeah. Well, there's know, that okay. too. You have to. You got to put a hex on the on the springs first. Oh, okay. Tiny yeah. men and the amplifier. Yeah, it's got to be haunted tiny men and springs. Uh, but he wouldn't let anyone near it, and he uh, he was like really paranoid about people finding out his secret box or what was in his secret box. Uh, Which is apparently <laughs> springs in a little person. Yep. Okay. All that, but the little person. Uh, Working for big record companies at the time was very different. Musicians were treated more like factory workers. Come in, punch the clock, record, get the fuck out. No royalties for anything you did. Uh, producers wore three-piece suits and engineers dressed like doctors in white lab coats. <laughs> there were no such thing as royalties, <clears throat> and the recording engineer was not in charge. Um, or free to do weird shit, honestly. Uh, Joe liked to do weird shit. So after butting heads with one of the higher-ups a few too many times, he quit his job. Joe, Joe also had a really short fuse. Uh, when his temper flared up, it would be absolutely impossible to even talk to him. And then suddenly, if nothing, as if nothing had happened, he'd be fine. And ask you what the fuss was all about. So there might have been like uh, what do they call it when there's a, when there's a couple polars, like there's a couple <laughs> polars happening to the he, guy. He wasn't a bear, that's for sure. Bi curious. Yeah, bi yeah bi curious. Yeah, bi yeah. bipolar bear. Polar. Seems yes. like there might have been. Seems like there might have been a degree of that going on, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe. 
Uh, aside from producing, Joe also wrote songs. Wrote, quote unquote, and you'll see why I say, quote, wrote songs. Uh, he wrote and produced a song called Put a Ring on Her Finger was his first uh, mild hit, uh, which he had to rent a studio to record. The song became a moderate hit, and after playing, after paying the bill for the studio, uh, Joe took what money he made from the song, and he rented an apart, a new apartment above a leather goods shop at 304 Holloway Road, London. It was a one-bedroom flat on the third floor in a cramped apartment. Joe Meek would track, mix, master, and press vinyl records from beginning to end and had several hit records from this apartment. Joe Meek would spend the rest of his life recording from this uh, third-floor apartment. And I'd like to uh, give my sincere apologies to whoever actually nowadays lives at that address that Tony just <laughs> read. Because <laughs> you're going to get at least one motherfucker, like, trying to take pictures at your house. Oh, like, God, it's like the Goonies one. house over in fucking Astoria, I bet. Oh, yeah, where, well, yeah, they're beating off with sticks down there. Shit. Yeah. Ooh. Like, that doesn't feel so too- yeah, whoever whoever lives in wherever the fuck Waverly plays fucking England, like hashtag England. Yeah. Like sorry, but you're gonna get some fucking weirdos in your yard. Yep. But I mean, this just, was kind of cool. This had never happened. Just remember, Tony made it happen to you. So. <laughs> this had never happened before. So like, this dude was like pressing his own fucking vinyl, and when when shit hit really big, like he of course he would like outsource to to vinyl plants and stuff, but like he would like record. Like, write, record, produce, uh, and, like, mix, master, and get it the fuck out from his, like, one-bedroom apartment above a handbag shop, basically. So, they, and nobody done that before. It was just, everything was, like, really stuffy and way too professional. And, uh, yeah, and all this from a tone-deaf dude. Uh, he could That's- not sing, could not play an instrument. Uh, he wrote songs, quote-unquote. He could hear music and sounds in his head. Uh, but basically he would hum a tune to his, like, his, like, house band or his studio band or whatever, uh, called the Tornadoes. He would, he would, like, hum a tune out of key. <laughs> and they'd be like, Jesus, Joe, all right, fine. Uh, and they I'm would try to play it. And he'd I'm be like, no, 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 this. it's like this. <laughs> and then they'd play again and he'd be like, no, fuck, it's like this. <laughs> and they'd be like, shit, until they got it right. And they'd be like, yes, that's it. All right, I'm going to hit record. You guys record that. WNBC. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking crazy. Uh, there was a British television series at the time called Harper's West One. Uh, when an actor named uh, John Lighton played a rock star named Johnny St. Cyr in an episode uh, of the show, the protagonist Johnny sings a song called Johnny Remember Me. It's a fucking haunting song. I love. It's really cool. When the mists are rising and the rain is falling and the wind is blowing cold across the moor, I hear the voice of my darling, the girl I love and lost a year ago. It's hard to believe, I know, but I hear her singing in the sign of the wind blowing in the treetops. But it's basically, the, the song's about, like, this guy Johnny dying in a car wreck or some shit, and then the girl's, like, out. hauntingly singing, Johnny, remember, or sorry, she dies in a car accident. And I was just saying, Johnny, uh, the way you were describing it, it sounds yeah. like, 
hey me remember myself <laughs> like ooh i think we i think we got a hit on our hands dude that's a hey me remember Donald, myself Donald, Donald trump song right there oh jesus all right moving right how along. cool how I'll cool touch myself <laughs> yeah <laughs> when how I think cool about does me. my hair look when i look at it <laughs> uh uh, this was the first track uh, produced by Meek at his new independent studio above the hat shop. Uh, the song was recorded uh, with John, the actor slash singer, uh, in the living room. Behind a pull-down screen was the rhythm section behind him. Uh, the violin section was in the stairwell. The backing well, singers, well, of course, on. were in the bathroom. What? The violin section? Yeah, there's a violin section. It oh, was like violin. Yeah, I no heard, violence. I, I, I heard violence section. It was like, the violence what the fuck section. is that? Oh, they're just it's like th three soccer hooligans with like a tire iron and some fucking beers and a homeless person just waiting to yep waiting to let her buck <laughs> yeah boy uh, okay this is the first track produced by Meek in his new independent studio uh, the song was recorded with John the singer uh, standing in the living room behind him behind a screen uh, was the rhythm section the violin section was in the stairwell uh, the backing singers of, of course were in the bathroom. Yeah, of course, uh, logically, like leaving the bass section in the in a room on the floor below. So they actually took over one of the apartments oh, below in the, in the fucking murder dungeon. Yes, like <laughs> uh, Joe was Joe was in the one bedroom, like a mad scientist, surrounded with preamps, tape machines, equalizers, and an army of homemade yeah. secret boxes. I think uh, mad scientist is kind of a ge generous way to describe that, <laughs> yeah. but sure. I see the video of the process; it's crazy. Like the band would finish playing a take. And then Joe would like poke his head around the corner out from the bedroom and be like, it's shit, do it again. And then they fucking do it again. And then he'd poke his head out again, like, no, do it again. Fuck. Yeah. This was all pre like cocaine and shit. Oh, dude, yeah. But they, they did have other drugs. Um, yeah, they did. Well, but the other thing is like, if you weren't doing this, it would be like, let's go watch a movie with like Charlie Chaplin in it. And yeah. Maybe I might touch your knee. <laughs> and then we'll call it a day. Perhaps we shall eat some beans. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, so this so is that, the most exciting shit on the block. Like, that's some animal house shit, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Joe had an un unhealthy obsession with the occult uh, and Buddy Holly. Uh oh. In one bedroom okay. studio apartment, he would have parties where he would lead seances, and partygoers would gather around a Ouija board. Uh, there are lots of drinking, lots of like. Lots of like uh, actual like speed because speed was a big deal back in like the fifties. Oh 60s. yeah, well so, it was good for you. It's a weight loss. Hey man, don't knock on the speed. Speed's good for weight loss. It's good to keep you productive. Keeps you productive all day. You productive all day when you take enough speed. And you're gonna lose weight. You're gonna lose a lot of weight taking enough speed. And you're gonna fucking you're gonna be productive. You're gonna be gardening. You're gonna be fucking mowing the lawn. You're gonna be fucking building the fucking doghouse. You're gonna love fucking speed. You gotta try this fucking speed. Stop talking shit about fucking speed. <laughs> My dad. Most of the Baseball players were on speed just to cure their hangovers, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, my my dad had a he was trying to cut weight before he joined the Navy back in like back in like fifty nine, I think. So he and, had a uh, tapeworm full of speed. Uh, yeah, well, the drugstore was like, <laughs> oh, this is great for for cutting cutting weight. And gave him a big bag of pills, and he was just like, he's like, I felt great, man. I got so much shit done, like, but I was awesome. And then he's like. Then it wasn't cool. Like suddenly it was just like I can't sleep. I can't do anything. Then my, then my teeth started falling out. And my yeah. hair started to go away. Yep. Got all uh, these fucking scabs <laughs> from picking up my face. So they would have parties where they drank a lot. Did you know? Did speed and stuff. And uh, they would gather around a Ouija board. One time they asked the Ouija board if Johnny Remember Me, the song they just recorded, would be a hit. It replied yes, number one. And soon oh. it became a number one hit. 
This just reinforced Joe's belief in the occult. Witchcraft! <laughs> Witchcraft! Although I know it's strictly <laughs> taboo. Love that singing sword. Um, Joe would walk around in cemeteries with a handheld tape recorder at night trying to record ghosts. Uh, he and actually, said, and that's how the first Misfits fucking album was fucking recorded. Dude. Oh, I got something about that later. Hold on. They kind of sound like they're recorded in a cemetery garbage can, like a lot yeah. of reverb and a lot of muffledness. But totally. Sure. Uh, so if if the if the screen share would have worked, I was gonna play this tape for you, uh, but I, I'll send it to you later so you guys can check it out. Um, he actually recorded a cat that he came across uh, that he thought was a ghost looking for help. In one of his assistant engineers shared the tape of the BBC in 1991. I've heard the tape. It's fucking weird. The it's a cat. I, th he th I think you played it for me in the past. I yeah, think. Yeah. He he recorded this cat just going like, help me. And if you like squ squint your ears really hard, it sounds like he's saying help me. <laughs> but like, if you squint your ears really hard, yeah. So he was just like, oh, it's a, it's a ghost, man. Uh, soon after this, Joe Meek uh, dreamt of Buddy Holly's death. Uh, he had a dream that the singer Buddy Holly would die in February. So the next the next tour that Buddy Holly played in the UK, Meek went to go see it. He pushed his way backstage after the show uh, and had a one-on-one -on -one with Buddy Holly, where Joe Meek told Buddy Holly that he was going to die in February, which is only a few months away. And then so Buddy Holly killed him with his samurai sword, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> No, this ain't this ain't the six string samurai. Oh fuck. Uh February came and went. Buddy Holly even did interviews telling the story and laughing about how like ha 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 I'm supposed to, I was supposed to die in February. Um the next February Buddy Holly died in a plane crash with Richie Valens and the Big Bopper. Yep. Going um, to Fargo, don't you know? Oh yep. yeah, he's on his way to the Fargo where you know that's where I was born at, you know. Out there in that Fargo. Uh, Buddy Holly's death hit Joe really hard. It also re-reinforced re his belief that he had premonitions and could talk to ghosts. Basically, turns, he, he was stalking the guy and threatening him he was going to die, but then he was, like, super upset when it actually happened. He's like, oh, fuck, man. Did I do that? Can I yeah, do yeah, that? Yeah. Uh, it, it turns out that Joe Meek was dealing with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Fucking shocking. Ooh. Which he yeah, self none of this none of this story sounded like any of that. Yeah, which he self medicated with copious amounts of speed and LSD and alcohol. You know, <laughs> you know as you do. Yeah. Good combo. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you do a little LSD and you're like, oh man, I feel a lot better. Maybe this is what I need to do. So you, you know, that's just instead of coffee, you just switch to LSD every day. That's good note. Like instead of well, I guess I'd have to find some LSD. I'm going to get more coffee here in a second, but yeah. you know, we'll, we'll think about that LSD thing. <laughs> uh, soon, Joe began to believe that his flat was haunted by poltergeists. He was getting very paranoid. To combat his visions of hallucinations, Meek started experimenting with barbiturates, plunging himself deeper into mood swings. To combat these mood swings, he began a stricter regimen of am <laughs> amphetamines. Wow, 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 wait. Okay, it's been a long time since I heard the word, word barbiturate. Yeah. And if it is what I remember it being, 
if you mix that with amphetamines, man, you're you're in for kind yeah, of yeah. It's a like putting a humidifier and a dehumidifier right in front of each other. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Jesus. basically alcohol is a barbiturate technically. So he's, we're yeah. talking like like Xanax and shit like that. Uh, but yeah, it's, that's it's what I thought. Proto Xanax. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, at <laughs> at one point during a recording session, Joe pulled a gun to the head of the drummer Mitch Mitchell to inspire him to get mm. a better performance. Well, uh, to be fair, you're, you're not really a fucking uh, recording engineer nor a, a music producer until you've pulled a gun on one of the musicians. Like that's yeah. kind of, I like, think, the rite of passage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's, needs to really happen. It's called the Phil Spector. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Joe was basically a mad scientist with sounds happening in his head. Uh, he was really, really good at translating those sounds in his head onto tape, which nobody else could do at the time. So a lot of his instrumental stuff had just like weird, like. You know, cackling, wind blowing, like fucking just crazy, crazy sound effects that were almost impossible to get in the 50s. Like you had to really do some weird shit. Uh, stories of the, his house band, the Tornadoes Rhythm Section, on a recording being asked to stay late and drop marbles into a toilet on microphone were standard fare in the Joe Meek production. If nothing else, Joe was a master sound crafter. I watched an interview with Mitch Mitchell, the drummer, and he's just like bitching. Like, I don't, he's like, he fucking made us stay all night uh, for hours dropping marbles hit, in a toilet. I, I hit a wrench against a bread box for 19 hours. Oh, dude, for real. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, something interesting as well. Uh, there are a lot of, act, he was starting to make a name for himself. So a lot of, a lot of bands started coming to him and being like, hey, can you produce our next record? And he would listen to their demo tapes. And most of them he threw in the trash because he's like, these are fucking garbage. Uh, a list, a list of notable demos that he threw in the trash were uh, a guy named David Bowie, uh, Rod Stewart, and the Beatles. <laughs> well, I mean, Rod Stewart—that's arguably one that could have, like, you know. No, no, this is the best. The Rod Stewart one is the fucking best because Rod Stewart was in a band. I don't remember the name of the band, but they came. The band came to Joe Meek and were like, "Hey, can you produce our next album?" And, and Joe Meek listened. Rod Stewart to and the other guys. Joe, and Joe Meek uh, got the tape. He listened to it and he had an interview with them and he said, "Look." Get rid of that shitty singer, and I'll I'll produce the band, but not that shitty singer. <laughs> so he told the band to get rid of their singer, and he would produce them. And then they said no, and so he was like, "Well, fuck off then." <laughs> fuck. Passion. Uh, uh, at this time in London, homosexuality was straight illegal, punishable with a fine and jail time. Uh, in 1963, Joe was charged and convicted of. Let me get this right importuning for immoral purposes and find 15 pounds, which is about $400 today. Importuning? Importuning for immoral purposes. That is the legal definition, uh, legal whatever. 
That's very English. Yeah, he was uh, fined 15 looks. pounds and spent a couple days in jail, uh, which is like $400 today. Uh, just like, just like the pressure of like all the other shit he's dealing with, and then that on top of it. Uh, and it got printed in the newspaper because he was as you know some some person of note. You know what I mean? Um, well, like the the definition that the uh, the immediate Google search gave me is importunity is not even like having sex. It's like motherfucking persistent harassment of somebody to do something. So, like, the example given is he had quit smoking, given in finally to his wife's importunity. So he basically got arrested and fined for, like, hey, man, you want to fuck? He's like, no. Come on, you sure you don't want to fuck? You're going to jail. That's... <laughs> Jesus. Okay, okay. I, guess, I guess it happened. There was, like, a, a certain park in London where, like, where like all the all the homosexual guys would hang out. And, yeah, and, and it's not like all the fucking cops didn't just hang out there for a reason to yeah, totally. basically fuck up gay dudes because that's... Yeah, it's that sounds kind of coppish. Exactly. Yeah, he basically you know. was like entrapped for not hurting anyone. Like he. Yeah. Uh, hey, he was importuning though, which God, I, that's a word I've never heard before. I never and, heard it uh, either until I found this shit. Um, uh, the fact that this whole fact and this this uh, situation just added pressure to Joe as he slipped uh, further into madness. In July 1962, the UK satellite Telstar One successfully launched into orbit. And transmitted through space the first television pictures, telephone calls, telegraph images, and added phoning in via satellite to the English lexicon. Uh, mm. This was a big to-do on BBC, uh, where they they showed the launch of the satellite uh, set to a song called Telstar, written and produced by one Joe Meek. Well, in England, they, they still believed in science back in those days. We yep. did, too, but yep. uh, we, we've since gotten over that fucking nonsense, apparently. Yep. Isn't there a Venture song called that too? Or they the Ventures covered it, yeah, because it was a right. huge fucking hit for especially like surf surf bands and stuff. Because it was a instrumental orchestrated kind of surfy rock uh, rock song. But uh, so the BBC uh, BBC got the song from Joe. They played it during the launch, and it was like this this event where like every motherfucker with a TV was watching this thing because it was a huge deal. Um, and everyone without a TV got hit with like rocks and cans and chased out of the village. Of course, yeah. Um, the the song hit was a bigger hit than anything he had ever produced before it. Uh, Joe Joe had finally made it, but with mo money comes mo problems. Oh fuck! As Joe's career blossomed, his paranoia increased. Uh, he complained that his studio was bugged by the big record companies. He thought that fuck, they where, were where listening have I heard in. Of that recently, <laughs> like who the fuck is yeah fuck. He thought that they were lis- listening in, uh, listening on his conversations and stealing his ideas. He once received a phone call from famous, fantastic American producer and creepy shitbag extraordinaire Phil Spector. Oh yeah. Phil called to confess his love for Joe's Dude, work. Dude, you said you, you said Phil Spector twice in one podcast. If you say it again, he's gonna pop out of your. Fucking I will. It, his name will not cross his lips. No. Oh God, with a fucking cape well, and shit. Oh. Beetlejuice said less uh, exactly. ridiculous hair. Yeah, yeah. No shit. You bunch of losers! You're working with a professional here! 
Nice fucking model. Yeah, shit was reasonable. Uh, Phil, Phil had called Joe to confess uh, his love of Joe's work. Joe screamed at Phil at the top of his lungs and yelled at him to stop stealing his ideas and slammed the headset of the phone down so hard that he broke the fucking phone. Jesus. <laughs> he literally just like hammered the, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and smashed the phone to pieces. The thing about old school phones is like once you hit that little button that makes it hang up, you can do that as much as you want. They're not going to get that message. Yeah. Your dial tone, but. Yeah. It was satisfying, though. I mean, now you just go boop. And then you're like, oh, yeah, well, that sucks. I mean, you, you you can like hit and as angry as you want, but it's yeah. not that. There's not a lot of feedback <laughs> happening. Totally, dude. There's the million dollar idea uh, right angry there. Angry hang up you, you button, got, and it makes your phone like vibrate as hard as it possibly can, and maybe <laughs> maybe like gain like forty degrees in temperature and like flash strobe lights and make like growling bear noises or something. I don't yeah, know. hell yeah. Or like car crash noises or some some. You know. Oh, you can download different packs of sounds to uh, yeah, you you know, like, for a small fee. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that. I mean, that's how you that's how you make that paper is that, that download shit. But fuck yeah. yeah. All right. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, Joe was seeing no revenue from his biggest Telstar hit uh, as he was in well, litigation well, yeah, with a French he said composer. It to fucking space. So uh, actually, a, a French composer sued him for stealing the melody of Telstar. So what this French composer fuck? was like, hey, you didn't write that, I wrote that. And so fucking litigation begins. So now all of the royalties coming in from that song are just like locked up in a vault until the fucking court case is over. So Joe has to spend his own money on lawyers and going to court for this shit, which is just this long, drawn-out process. Oof, okay. Uh, one day during a particularly heated meltdown, uh, Joe burned an artwork that he had previously painted inside his, his apartment. Uh, this show him. Yeah. This happened during <laughs> breakfast uh, with his studio assistant, Patrick Pink, looking on and yelling, and Joe yelling, well, they're not right getting this fucking piece of shit. Uh, then he I think stormed. Patrick Pink probably had a more complicated life than... Uh, yeah, I think Pat was sitting there like, oh, fuck, man. It's shit. like, God damn it, is it really worth the fucking 80p a fucking hour? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Uh, after burning the painting, Joe stormed into uh, the control room, which was the bedroom, uh, slammed the door, and started blasting music. So P Patrick was sitting in the, the studio, the other part of the studio, and just could hear music bumping out of there after that. Uh, the landlord, Violet, uh, Violet Sh uh, Shenton, who lived down, she ran the not, uh, hat shop not, downstairs. Not Violet Beauregard. No, Violet Shenton, uh, who ran the hat shop downstairs, came up asking what kind of mood Joe was in today. Uh, <laughs> then proceeded into the studio to talk to him and try to cheer him up a little bit. Uh, Patrick said he could hear the landlord from the other room saying, Calm down, Joe! And Joe yelling, Where's the fucking book? Uh, I want the book! And so, what? back back in those days, um, like when you pay... Necronomicon ex mortis? Klaatu! Mirada! <laughs> no, you had, you had a rent book uh, where you, you kept tabs, like when you pay your rent. You write it down in this book with a date so that, like, if they come at you to be like, hey, you didn't pay your rent, you'd be like, look, it's in the book. We, you yeah, even signed it. Yeah, I can it. prove it because I wrote in this. Well, you have the landlord sign it, too. Time. Oh, I see. It's like, like you do it together. No, like, notarized. Yeah, like, so so yeah. he's, like, fucked for money. He's out of his fucking mind on drugs. He just burned a painting in his fucking in his place. Uh, the landlord comes up to try to cheer him up, but he thought, I think he thought she was trying to collect rent, which was past due. Um Patrick Pink uh, describes just then hearing a a loud bang. Uh oh. Joe Meek had shot his landlady point blank directly oh, in her head. 
killing her instantly. Uh, Patrick well, Ransom. That, that's generally what will happen. Like, there's, okay. So you tell this is not an Old West story. Yeah. She got shot point blank in the head and immediately died. Yeah. And didn't, like, linger for, like, yeah. a week and make some moccasins or whatever the fuck while, like, bleeding out and speaking French, even though they didn't know French before they got shot in the head <laughs> yeah, or whatever right. the fuck, you know. Totally. They trampled by a horse. Uh, Pat, uh, the, his, his studio assistant, Patrick, ran toward, uh, ran toward where he heard the shot in time to catch the landlord. Uh, he said to Joe, she's dead, Joe. Then Joe turned the gun on himself and committed suicide at the age of 38, February 1967. Um, weeks after his death, the French composer that sued Joe over Telstar lost the case, and Joe's dead body was awarded a settlement and any further income from the song. What the the fuck? fucking end. That's all I know about Joe Meek. Well, that's an awesome story, but you don't know jack shit about I just proved Joe that I did. That's not... No. It's kind of so the wrong the, Joe Meek. Yeah, what? what's the pre, what's the parameters of this? You said 1960-something. Yeah. We don't we do not do shit from 1960-nothing. Oh, I should have known. It took place in England, too. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so while that was an interesting tale of, like, clearly a very wacky person... Fucking wrong. So fucking wrong. God damn it. God damn it. This is a paid presentation for Total War and More, brought to you by Bronson Swagger Industries. Hi, I'm Craig Woodruff Nelson here with my partner Judy Woodruff Nelson. Welcome to the Total War and More Hour here on the BSI Shopping Network. Now, you may be aware of our competitor, Todd Woodruff, over there at Guns, Germs, and Steel. Let's first get this out of the way. Yes, the rumors are true. He is my brother, but after this short presentation, I think you'll all agree who the better businessman is. Okay, Dad. Alright, first up, beautifully displayed here in Judy's palm is not really a weapon per se, but actually an ammunition. We call it the Total War and More Knife Blast. Knife Blast is an extra-large shotgun round stuffed with tiny knives. This isn't your run-of-the-mill shrapnel, okay? Each cartridge is filled with honest-to-goodness miniature Bowie knives, hand-sharpened in Malaysia. Go ahead and open one, Dad! Okay, Judy, bring up the next one! Just look at the way that thing hangs off the shoulder! I'm so excited to showcase this one, folks. Alright, what we have here is our tippy-top-of-the-line Total War and More Battle Musket. This puppy is over four feet long with a six pound axe head attached for the traditional bayonet would be, I mean, talk about versatility. You could reenact the US Civil War or take down a cybernetic elf street samurai on Council Island. It's called Shadowrun, not fucking space D&D, okay, Pops? Finally, we come to Total War and More's flagship product. Is someone making you mad? Are you looking to place the blame on a family member or significant other and then get away as quickly as possible? Then you need the escape goal! Whoa, whoa, there she Gotta be slow, we don't want to spook him. This baby is a live goat. Strapped with two SpaceX Mini Falcons. Are you in Roseburg, Oregon, being ridiculed for rolling for initiative and attack with a beautiful one-of-a-kind set of Dragonbone dice instead of getting a job? Well, with the escape goat, you could be in Chattanooga before you can say, you're not my real father. Can't make up your mind now? 
Come to the Total War and More Brick and Mortar Store, located right across from weak-ass guns, germs, and steel inside the Mile City Westfield Shopping Center, adjacent to the Orange Julius, and remember, my brother doesn't have real biologically harmful chemicals, but I do. A Bronson Swagger Company. So, welcome back to uh, Now the West is Fucked, now that we all took a break and Tony told us the exact wrong shit. I'm really sorry, guys. I thought I had it. It, like, it was entertaining, but like had absolutely nothing to do with the spirit of this podcast. Um, yeah, it, it has West. You got the fucked part right, but not the West yeah, part yeah, right anyway. Yeah, yeah. England's not really West and like, you know, the, hey, it's, the it's, time, time it's was west way of China. Whack. I guess you know everything's Everything west. Everything's west if you go far enough east, or whatever. But yeah, I fa- I failed to read Comic Sans. That's where the fucking problem is. Mine was in like New Times Roman or some shit. That's what happens. Well, to you Comic you- Sans helps you remember and regurgitate stuff. Yeah, it helps you remember. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, well, speaking of Comic Sans, we'll get the rig rolling. I'm going to refill my coffee real quick, so I'll miss like the first sentence. But okay. So the real Joe Meek, not the one who blew out his brains, but the other guy who didn't, was born in 1810 in Virginia near the Cumberland Gap. Which was the gateway to the West at the time. And a killer song. In the 1800s. Yep. Uh... Middle of a large family of 15. Basically, he was kind of a jolly kid, jolly adult, too. He was kind of the jolly mountain man, I guess. <laughs> he had a brand of peas and carrots. Here's something even more fun than a valley fair. A soft, huggable green giant ragdoll. He's 16 inches tall by the ruler, about a good squeeze wide, and you can have him for your very own. Just save three labels or frozen package fronts from you-know-who's vegetables and mail with 50 cents on your name and address to Green Giant, LeSueur, Minnesota. Details are in this week's TV guide or Sunday comics. Send for your Green Giant ragdoll today. Yep. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, he got along with everybody but the teacher and the preacher. Uh, he grew up, uh, grew up owning slaves, but sometimes he would borrow them for his own adventures as a kid. You know, kind of like, hey, let's play. <laughs> oh Jesus! It's like uh, I guess we don't have a say in this. Well, I'm gonna play with you, but your father will probably beat the shit out of me because I'm supposed to be like chopping a cord of firewood today. No, you're going fishing with me. Oh fuck! Yeah. So of course he leaves town young because that's what you do. Uh, actually, well, like, it's probably closer to 18 than than 13. Oh, okay. Like, I was I was gonna say like wow. six, seven, like. How young so he's a, I was going to say, he's a fucking late bloomer, eh? Mm-hmm. So he goes to Missouri to visit a brother and finds out his other brother gets hired on with the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. So in the fall of 1828, he goes to St. Louis. Dun, dun, dun. As one does. So, yep. So Joe heard that Bill Sublet was back in town and aimed to get on, and he fucking did. Which it wasn't well, that hard, I guess. I think I talked about that a little bit last week. Like, there's like... I think it's supposed to be kind of a serious illustration of like Joe Meek beating, meeting a fucking Bill Sublet and trying to get employment with him. It kind of looks like a Dagwood comic, but yeah. it's it's just I like saw that too. 
Yeah. Like, Eventually, when yeah, I, took some when convincing, I, I guess. Well, because he didn't have a beard at all, according to this, like, I'm sure super uh, realistic and accurate illustration. Like, someone's like, where's your beard, son? Like, I mean, you're talking about <laughs> you all can't these qualifications. Yeah, but you don't have a beard. Really fucking Amish? Yeah. So Joe got his gear from the company, so you're already starting in debt to the company. But first he had to start out working with mules. Of course, working with mules is just fun onto itself, I guess. Oh, yeah, it's a it's a joy within a joy within a pleasure. Like, they're mm-hmm. the kindest, sweetest, most patient animals. Mm-hmm. You sound facetious. Why? Just a little bit, yeah. I mean, <laughs> mules smell facetious, too, so... You're fucking facetious. Okay, Bocephus. Fuck you. Uh, so, <laughs> it was just a few years after the Arikara fucked everybody up at the uh, at the border of North Dakota, South Dakota. Of course, it wasn't at the time, but... Yeah. So, middle, instead of going middle the Dakota. more direct route... So, instead of going the more direct route, uh, Sublet takes the Santa Fe Trail southwest... And takes the back door into the Wood River Range in Wyoming, which is central Wyoming. A back door, man. All right. Yep. So Sublet was with Ashley's 100 at that uh, when they got waylaid at the by the Rickera there. So right. Well, and so was our guy from last week. Yep. The old. Uh, yep. So there they have the rendezvous. So basically, the mountain men would line up for sublet and demand, Ooh, "Here's my beaver. Where's the liquor?" Of course, it's spelled H A R S. My beaver. Where's the liquor? L I K K E R. Yeah, that's definitely going on a T-shirt. It has yep. to. So Joe was impressed by all this. Uh, the story is that he saw men using a dead comrade as a table for card games. Who knows if that's true or not. <laughs> that sounds a little far fucked. Plus, how do you screw legs into that? That's bullshit. Well, it, co- it already comes with two. You just got to add a couple more. <laughs> yeah. You know, if rigor mortis is set in, you just kind of prop them up that way. And... It's like how they used to do taxidermy. You kind of just kick it into shape. Yep. <laughs> You've seen Weekend at Bernie's. There you go. Fantastic documentary. He developed a drink called Weekend at Bernie's. Mm. That is true. I did. Oh, wow. What What's it made out of? A whole bunch of stuff. It's uh, ostensibly a Mai Tai, but it's huge, and it has, like, six different kinds of rum, a bunch of different kinds of, like, juices. It comes with every kind of fruit that I can get on the glass and a cherry, and it's got enough liquor in it to where if you have more than... Embalm a corpse. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and if you have more than two of them, you're going to need two friends to carry you home with you draped over their shoulders. I've seen Shotzi have more than two. Shotzi is a true, true gem. Yeah, yeah. A regular ass person would turn into Bernie. True story. I have a song called "Party with My Dead Uncle," where I reference that. It's based on a true story too about David's neighbors, where the guy's dad died, and he's like, "Yeah, come on over, we're party with him." It's like, you mean what? he's just kind of sitting there? It's like, what yup. the fuck? <laughs> they were just like waiting for the for the. I almost said taxidermist. <laughs> they're, just waiting for, they're waiting for the waiting fucking for the morgue. The show, the morgue and, and show up. Yeah, at that point, it could have been this. I'm assuming happened in Allen, so it could have very well been the taxidermist. Is like Harstein the same guy Island, as the yeah, plantation. Close enough. Oh, dude, Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis has a house on Harsty Island. Really? Yeah wow. my my uh, my stepsister used to live out there, and they like the uh, 
all the all the neighbors would like get together and do a walk along the beach and they ran into fucking Bruce Willis. He's like, yeah, I just got a house out here. Wow. Then did yep. he have to like fight him one by one or like? He's kind of a pussy in real life. Oh. Did he play his harmonica though? Yeah, of course. Hit it, boy. Whoa! Okay, that's good to know. Well, and also now I can think about it as like people like with the corpse of the dead uncle sitting there just kind of like pulling like little fingerfuls of like checks mix out of his mouth as you know the head's tilted back. <laughs> like, kind of no, use them as a. You, you don't call the morgue until after Halloween. So that way you can use them as a candy bowl for the kids. That's yep. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Reach in there deeper. I'm sure there's another Reese's somewhere by his uvula. <laughs> Turn them around. There's more chocolate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> too far, man. Too far. Anyway, so yeah, we can. So have basically, parties. the mountain men would spend all their money. Basically, they'd be in debt at the rendezvous because why the fuck would you need money in the mountains anyway? Basically, you're getting all your gigas for the ladies and stabbing is my stuff. currency. You say gigas, gigas, gigas. Like uh, beads and stuff for for trading with the oh, uh, women and oh, stuff, okay. trinkets and baubles and such. Uh, so first year had them with sublet in the Blackfoot country around the Three Forks in the Missouri there. And we all know what happens to people in Blackfoot country. They get attacked by Blackfeet. They oh get shit! Black, they generally get Blackfooted. I thought you were gonna say they could put a coffee filter on their head and sing happy birthday to them while clapping their hands. <laughs> it's definitely one of their. It's like one of the opening salvos that the Blackfeet Nation was known to use. They just embarrass you to death? Yeah, just humiliate you for a while before they <laughs> stab the fuck out of you and cut off your scalp, but yeah. <laughs> so they had a fight with them, but uh, Joe found a pair of moccasins and kept them as a war tro- trophy. Uh, I wish you'd have said nunchucks. Those moccasins came in handy when Joe fell asleep on watch later. And uh, he pretended that the Blackfeet were about to cover his ass when he didn't answer the calls. As, you know, you're supposed to go, all's well, and stuff like that. Yeah, But call, he fell asleep, him. so... Oh, he missed his call. Yep. Okay. So he said, oh, the Blackfeet were here. So he put the moccasins out for the next morning to kind of trick everybody that uh, he didn't fall asleep on the job. Just, just so to cover he, his own ass. Yep. Oh, he was like, I, like, the Indians attacked and I stole one of their shoes? That was kind of like, what the fuck? I ate the body, but here's the shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hit him so hard. Put them somewhere where they could find him. He's like, see, they were here. (laughs) I wasn't sleeping. What the fuck? What the absolute fuck? Like, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like, yeah, okay. Fuck, it was a simpler time when it read off that. Yeah, you could trick people by just lying to them. Yeah, just, just leaving objects that have nothing to do with anything, you know. Look, this pair of shoes proved we were under attack, and I fought them all off without waking you guys up. <laughs> the fuck? Okay. Yep. That's that's what he did. Uh, later, during another Blackfoot attack, he became separated from the group. But uh, this is no fun being separated from the group in the middle of winter and 
not a lot of game in the area, and Joe didn't know his way. Uh, this is his first year there. But he knew that the Blackfeet were north, and the wintering over spot was in the Wind River Range in Wyoming. So he just headed south. But he did find the Yellowstone River. And, of course, what do you get when you get to the Yellowstone River? Probably Yellowstone National Park, huh? Well, kind of. I mean, After yeah, kind of. Sometimes you get sometimes you get fucking Mile City. So, oh fuck you, Mile fuck City. You, Mile City. Fuck you, Mile City. <laughs> it also melts in miles. <laughs> like literally that picture of that little kid getting disappointed by dropping the trout. Like that's literally in the Yellowstone River. But this know. is at the Three Forks, so this is yeah, western yeah. Montana. Yeah, it's in the cool part of Montana, the not the not Mile City part of Montana. <laughs> part with the mountains and the nature and shit not the uh it's where the happy kids actually holding trout hang out yeah <laughs> where you can yeah. uh catch a trout and then throw it in the little uh little boiling pit while oh yeah yeah oh yeah know. cook it right there it's all so convenient i'm just i was about to say a bunch of really mean things about mile city but i feel like there's a line that can be crossed where <laughs> no go ahead yeah yeah <laughs> What nah. are they going to do, come for us? No, but I have to stop there like every time I go home. And someday somebody might actually recognize me. <laughs> or you'll or you'll be wearing a fucking, uh, like a How the West is Fuck t-shirt or something. Like, that probably says, like, fuck the Mile City on it. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, you should, uh, we should plug that now. We'll have t-shirts eventually. Actually, you know what? By the, by the time this episode, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be, it'll be up. Or I'll get an email like, hey, we couldn't put it up because you're an idiot and, like, we don't like the name of your whatever and, you know. Anyways, it's tpublic.com? Yep. T-E-E? Yep. And you should just be able to, like, uh, just type in how the West was fucked and it should get you right to our little storefront yep. there. Uh, we're going to have available um, the our our, uh, our famous, like, uh, Lewis and Clark, like, uh, parody, like, logo, both in safe for work and not safe for work formats even though in both of them he's giving you the finger but like right. or, but the not safe for work one it'll have like a dick and balls hanging down i think and a vagina, no, it, it vagina somewhere says fuck only the unc is horseshoes and the other one just has asterisks uh, but then we also have like episodic ones the first two of many uh we did i did uh, uh one about their red ghost you know the killer camel from the uh the halloween episode and then also uh everybody's favorite lawman bass reeves also got a, uh, a yeah. treatment on there, so yeah. There's more to come. I think the next one we're probably trying to crank out is probably Hugh Glass. I think because everybody likes like people getting mauled by bears. Fuck yeah, so. yes sir. Anyway, so he was delighted by Yellowstone National Park. There, he said, uh, delighted or terrified because usually those guys both. got terrified. Well, he said, uh, if this is hell, it's a better climate than the one I just left. So as long Fair as you enough. don't fall into the scolding water, it's pretty cool. But there he heard a shot fired and some war whoops. 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 Sorry about that. War whoops. Whoops. So he was like, oh, shit, Indians. But he was ready for a fight, and then he heard, it's old Joe. Because that's what happens when you get some respect. You're always old something. Even though you're like 23. Yep. But that was two other trappers out looking for him, who informed him that two other comrades were killed by the Blackfeet during that attack. And after three days, they caught up to the main group there. 
but the main group wasn't faring much better. They made camp in the Absaroka Range there, and uh, that would be uh, central south Montana there. That's, yeah, that's, east. it's like right north of, like, Maine, Yellowstone, more or less. Yep. Kind of. Also, like, Absaroka is, like, uh, translates to, uh, it's literally what the crow are supposed to be called. Like the Wait, Crow Indians, the Crow Indians call themselves some pretty Absaroka? high peaks there too. They actually call themselves like Absaluka, or like that's the nearest approximation. Yeah, it's Absaluka, and then uh, fucking Absaroka and Absaraka are like bastardizations of that. And so you have the Absaroka like range in Montana. There's a town called fucking Absaraka in North Dakota, in like the middle of North Dakota. But it's all basically like based off the native word for what the Crow Indians call themselves. Oh wow. Also, Absolutely. it's like a, it's, it's the county that uh, Sheriff Longmire works in in the uh, fictional yet awesome like crime drama Longmire. Oh, yeah. It's all set in Wyoming, but he's in Absaroka County. In the sleepy little town of Buffalo, Wyoming, a legend was born. His name? Walt Longmire. Longmire is a fictional character born out of the mind of author Craig Johnson, a resident of the tiny town of Ucross, just up the road from Buffalo. A few years ago, Johnson's storytelling inspired a popular television show which has brought a measure of fame to the small town in which the stories are set. Each year since 2011, thousands of fans have flocked to Buffalo to live for just a few days in the fictional town of Durant, Wyoming, in the equally fictional Absaroka County. So they're there. That's, those are some pretty high peaks. And then they make their way towards the Bighorn River. And they're starving and they're having to break trail for the horses, which is fun. You know, to get your horses so. to go somewhere, you got to pound down all the snow. So you're making only a few hundred yards a day. During that trip, uh, Jedediah Smith had him a slave, of course, but he treated him well. well oh, as so that white makes man. it all better. Yep. Oh, but the slave caught himself a porcupine. That was the first meat that anybody has shot in days. So he kind of threw it onto the hot coals, watched the quills burn off. I guess that's how you cook a porcupine. Wow. I've never done that before. We'll, but, have to start uh, the, we'll have to start the cooking show on YouTube here soon and cook a porcupine. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> I actually do a pretty good job of finding them a lot of times when I'm home. I'll run up by nine times out of ten, I'll run into one. So I suppose next yeah. time we'll just kill the motherfucker and see what she tastes like. Yeah, and get a badge or two and just really try to kill yourself. Those, those are harder to find, but... Porcupine, anyway, you f- figure out pretty easy because you're in the middle of the goddamn Great Plains. You'll see a big bushy thing in a dead tree. It's going to be a porcupine. <laughs> Probably. Or a turkey. That's my turkey impression. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, he grills up the porcupine. And when the slave's back was turned, uh, Joe and a friend made off with it, eating it half-cooked. Oh, oh, good. <laughs> fuck, man. So you got so like, tr- tr- trichinosis from porcupine meat? Yep. So the slave's like, where's my porcupine, motherfuckers? And nobody would give each other up. So this kind of raised Joe's stock with the others. But uh, one means trick what, inspires another. Ha ha, look at that thief. And look at him lie to the person that's owned by other people. Well, he did have conscience. He did feel bad after the fact. Oh, okay. But Probably because like, he had to eat a half-cooked porcupine so fast that it gave him fucking, like, food poisoning. That was uh, his feeling bad. Pretty much th- I'm pretty that much too. thinking, like, I don't care how fast you eat it, you're probably getting food poisoning anyway. 
If you take your sweet ass time, you're gonna get the shits for real. Of course, now this all spreads. Uh, a trapper named Craig catches a rabbit and was grilling it. Somebody told him that the boss needed to see him. And of course, the rabbit was gone when he came back. So, this is might get old after the third or fourth time somebody does well, that to you. To me, it sounds like the kind of shit that, like, that's how, like, these massive, like, knife fight shits kind of start. Like, you ate my fucking possum. No, I did not. That guy ate your possum, you know, and then suddenly we're all stabbing each other with, like, knives and spears and muskets and... Well, Craig was pissed off. He said he'd cut the rabbit out of the stomach of the offending party. Of course, nobody stepped forward to volunteer for that. You can cut it out of me. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jed Smith freed his slave after the the fact, too. So, And uh, Joe was ashamed of, of that trick. But it didn't stop him from doing other awful things in, that he thought it was funny. <laughs> As you will see. Don't go anywhere. How the West was fucked will be right back. Damn, we're bored. Why don't you youngins go out and play? But then, we ain't got nothing to play with. The dog died a week ago. Here, throw this dried piece of cow shit around. I gotta go bury your mother. Thanks, Dad. So within a few days, the group lost 100 me- uh, head of mules within the next few days. I guess that's what happens after the next one few days. Down, if there's one common thread with this entire podcast... You're just always losing mules. You're never gaining mules. You're always losing mules. Well, like good thing when they die, hundreds. you get to eat it. Sometimes. Sometimes Shivington just comes, kills them all, and then chases it like you get chased out of Texas. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, so they made it to the stinking river of the Shoshone. This is called uh, Coulter's Hell. Oh, yeah, Coulter's Sometimes Hell, Coulter's yeah. Hell is mistaken for the Yellowstone, but this is uh, part of the Shoshone River that's underwater now. I was going to say, it should be, yeah, and it's like uh, more of that part that uh, is closer to, uh, like, uh, Cody, Wyoming than it is yeah. to, like, actual Yellowstone, yeah. Yep. And Coulter's Hill. canyon area. Yep. Yeah, and Coulter's Hill. That's, that's what her show should be called. <laughs> her show should be called, like, uh, uh, like, webcam from inside her prison cell, but... <laughs> So they're having a hard time during the winter. Uh, Of course, we should talk about um, the bark from the cottonwoods would keep the horses fed if there was no other feed around, which is kind of strange. I was going to say, like, you know, we we grew up around cottonwoods. That fucking bark can be like almost two inches fucking thick and is very Mm -hmm. woody. I've never seen any of my horses try to remotely eat it. I mean, I suppose if it's saplings, you could probably do that shit, but... Yeah. I mean, if there's nothing else, man, that's pretty fucked, though. Well, it's kind of like, oh, I'm starving. Let's eat a two-by-four. You know, like, (laughs) the fuck? Guess it works, though. Yeah. Uh, But keeping in the cottonwoods also brings buffalo in or shelter, because that's the only tree around. Uh, Eventually, that became a nuisance, and they had to post guards to keep them out. 
Which is kind of funny. Okay, like, wait. You're, you're, I'm okay. hungry. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here, <laughs> giant mountain of food and warm clothing <laughs> that's easily shootable. I'm sick of eating you. Yeah, yeah. Or using your shaggy woolen pelt to keep the cold from freezing me. The fuck? And, yep. After a while, the crow came and uh, camped with him, which is always fun because you get to play those Indian games of dancing and chanting and betting on. I guess they called it the hand game. It's like, guess which hand might is full of shit and which hand is full of rocks or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking the hot hands thing where you try to slap. Well, they also oh. have the game where, like, let's see how much of your shit, shit we can steal. Like, you know, I mean, that's what we talked about. Like, uh, like uh, I think it was like, was it Lewis or Clark that shot the the two uh, Blackfeet? Yeah. And they, because they were just doing like that traditional Blackfeet game, let's see how many horses you can steal and how many rifles. Haha, we only have 10 mules. Then <laughs> we will steal 20 mules from you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, there, Joe learned that he might actually want to learn reading. You know, he's in his 20s by this time. Uh, so there he paid a man named Green to learn him the Bible and some Shakespeare. Oh, the Bible. I thought he was going to start with erotic fan fiction or something. Well, like you said, Shakespeare, that, that came Derek next. Pantel's Forum. That's how I learned to read You'll it. never believe this happened to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 1st of April, 1830, the camp divided into two. Dave Jackson of Jackson's Hole took half to the snake. Jedediah Smith led the rest uh, with Bridger. Joe went with them straight into Blackfoot territory again. They just can't keep away from the Blackfeet. That's just where all the good beaver is, I guess. Yep, straight up like frenemies. Mm-hmm. So crossing river, they lost a lot of traps. Of course, if you lose your traps, that means you get to drain the beaver dam. And after that, you get to break into the dens and kill the beaver with clubs. Ooh. Which they kind of hated to do. Yeah, it doesn't sound but fun at all. it was $5 for one of the beavers. So it's like, you know, looking at a $100 bill. Like in the, yeah, in the eye. Well, I mean, my thing is with the traps, you know, it's not like you catch beaver on land, so you can either be in a wintry ass cold stream up to your nutsack planting traps and then go and pulling like 30 pound beavers out of those cold ass waters, or you can hack your way into their extravagantly built like weird log cabin thing in the middle of the lake. I mean, both ways to get beaver is a pain in the ass. Yeah. I suppose like hacking into the lodge is more of a sure thing, and you're probably going to have like, you know, three to four. You know, anytime you get into one, but yeah. But they would uh, take the babies and put them in their pockets as pests, pets, not pests, pets. Uh, Jedediah Smith kept a dozen beaver kittens as pets. I guess they're called kit. Yeah, they're kits. Yeah. What the fuck? Uh, His favorite one was wearing a red collar, and he named it Red Collar. He went missing one day. He offered 10 pounds of coffee, 10 pounds of sugar, and two bottles of rum for whoever found Red Collar. But the kit was never found. Oh, man. No. Just seeing a mountain man cry like that would just be so yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, macho man can cry. He can cry. <laughs> <laughs> if it's over a kit. That, yeah, it's like over the animal that, as an adult, you kill indiscriminately and as often as you possibly can. I, I don't think I've ever seen a baby beaver before. Oh, my they're, God. They're, they're, cute. they're cute as fuck, and they, they make, are. like, really cute noises. Oh, shit. I want one now. 
Well, like, my thing is, like, do you... I mean, I understand the want for, like, one, maybe two. But well, a dozen? Yeah. Yeah, while while you're, like, living, like, out of what you're carrying on your back. That seems a little extravagant, you know? Hey, Custer had a fucking zoo, traveling zoo. Yeah, with Custer was an asshole, so, you know. Well, you, you could keep them in your apartment, but they'll probably, you know, chew down your, your beams after a while. They're going to fuck up your shit. Also, they have that smell. Well, you know, beavers are famously they they're uh, the castorium, yep. which uh, which is pregnant. I love the fact that that used to be the main ingredient in uh, artificial strawberry flavoring. Yeah, mm. I don't think it is anymore because it's too expensive. But if you've ever smelled raw castor, it does not smell like strawberry. It I mean, it doesn't smell bad. It just doesn't smell like strawberries. But it's kind of like yeah. um, what's that shit from Wales? Ambergris. Yeah. Where, like, whales, oh, yeah. a whale will, like, surface and just blow a fucking chunk of snot, like, out of its blowhole. And then, you know, you come by and scoop it up. And that's what they used to make, like, really fancy perfumes out of back in the late, like, back 17, 1800s. Yep. Mmm. Mm. Wish I could do something with that, with my snot. I like when you look up castor castorium because like yeah, you know, there's castor oil which is from castor beans, but like castorium, and, and the first thing that pops up is like Wikipedia food, and the first thing is a yellowish exudate of the castor sacs from the mature North American beaver. Food. Yeah. I would call In that go- a food additive. Uh, uh, under Google, <laughs> it just says like food. You're not just gonna like oh, shake yeah. it up with milk and fucking chug it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think the Latin name for fucking beaver is, like, Castorium motherfucking uh, Candidensis, I think. I think. Castorium. Yeah, well, it's, ca- yeah, Castor can- Canadensis. Like, so literally, beaver's Latin name is the stuff you eat out of its butt and, uh, and then Canada. Yep. What a Makes beautiful sense. little rodent. I will name yeah, it yeah. Stuff You Eat Out of Its Butt in Canada. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Joe and the group moved down to the Rosebud. So this is going further east at the junction with the Yellowstone there. Oh, yeah. I, I know that Rosebud area, you know. Oh, yeah. Joe was out with two others. Getting pretty they... close to Mile City out there. Oh, fuck you, Mile City. Fuck you, Mile City. It also goes in miles. <laughs> They shot a fat cow buffalo and laid near it at night and used the meat as pillows to protect it from varmints. <laughs> the fuck? So near daybreak, Joe dreamt that uh, something heavy was walking near his head. Twas no dream, though. What do you think it was? Uh, Are you laying on a meat in... pillow? It's a fucking bear. Yeah, it's probably a bear. Of course. Yeah. So it was after his pillow meat. Joe laid still, and the bear made off with a little meat. Uh, one guy wanted to shoot, but Joe was Joe had to convince him not to. But while they're talking, the bear came back and sniffed more and then ran away again. But then Joe got up and followed the bear with his rifle, drew a bead on the bear and killed the bear. Then he tromped around the bear in a victory dance like, Hey, uh, happy, yeah, 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 in mountain man speak. What the fuck? <laughs> Like you trump around my head, I'll trump around yours. Yeah, I'll show you, dead bear. That'll mm-hmm. teach you, big dead animal. So back down to the Wind River they go. 
they dug up their cache of furs. Except for when you're digging a big hole in the ground, uh, sometimes that falls in. And that happened to Joe and a friend, and the friend didn't make it out. What the so that fuck? kind of sucks. Yeah. Shit. What? Okay. <laughs> so there's all sorts of ways you can die in the Old West. Well, I'm, I'm used to like, you know. Where I heard there's like a thousand, like over a thousand. Where, where we're from, like, uh, you know, we have the underground uh, coal mines going on. So we'll have like what we call cave holes happening every once in a while. We'd lose like cows and shit to them. Jesus. But this is way before anybody was digging shit like that, so I don't get why that would happen, I suppose, but Well, whatever. you have to de dig it deeper than six feet, I guess, to keep the coyotes from digging it up. Or Yeah, but, I mean, whatever. Like, this is also the time when people would die from toothaches and shit, so. Mm -hmm. This is also the time people just made shit up, too. Yeah, well, <laughs> the thing is, you also... You can, like, die from a toothache, but then also survive getting mauled by a bear horribly and crawling, like, 200 miles. Or shot in the head. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, or you get wet one time in, like, late August, and then you die, like, a year later from ghosts or something. <laughs> uh, next summer, Rendezvous with Bill Sublet brings in yeah. actual wagons without an actual road. What a pioneer. And actual milks, milk cows. Holy Another fuck. 200 hands. So she's like, Shoshone, the, like Shoshone baby hands? Shit. Oh, God. 200 Shoshone <laughs> baby hands? Not quite. Good thought, though. I, I was going to make a joke about lactose intolerance, but Tony had to bring up that old chestnut. Uh, around this time, Jed Smith disappears. Of course, this is in Arizona, southwest type of territory. But anyway, so Broken Hand Fitzpatrick assumes command of his old uh, little regiment there. So the rendezvous was held later around Christmas time in the Wind River Range in Wyoming, which is pretty picturesque if you've ever been through there, like Du Bois oh, yeah. or that area. Uh, Joe was sent with another to locate a party of free trappers to buy their furs from the Bitterroots in Montana. Free trappers uh, didn't work for a particular company, and they just kind of sold to whoever they wanted to. That's kind of what they all aspire to be, I guess. Because you're not in debt to the company. Right. But you also don't have, like, the resources the company can give you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. And you got to pay for your own health insurance. Right. Yep. So at this time, Astor was getting back into the fur business and setting up Fort Union and trading yeah. with the Blackfeet. But this was hoarding in on the Rocky Mountain Fur Company's area, though. How dare they? Rocky Mountain Fur Company sounds like um, like a uh, like a strip club where nobody shaves. Yeah, specifically. <laughs> actually, uh, what's the one in Anchorage? Is like the Alaska it's Bush the, uh, Company. Alaska Bu Bush, yeah, the Alaska Bush uh, Company. Yeah. No, yeah. Yep. I oh, that's a strip I club. Got, yeah, I had Sick. fucking within within like an hour of me getting to Anchorage, I had like uh, Joe deposit me there because he thought it was my birthday. <laughs> But it uh, was not my birthday till like two days after that. But oh, okay. I was like, why the fuck did he just assume that? Like, oh, it's probably well, your birthday. Well, we flew soon. to Alaska. Okay. And he knew it was like during my birthday, but gotcha. like, um, it wasn't that exact day. And it was like midnight during uh, close to solstice. So basically, in Alaska, like you know, when the sun doesn't ever proper go down, they just kind of all stay awake like all the time, eat very little, and drink a lot. Woof. And so that strip club was like kind of winding down for the evening even when we got there it's like the strippers are all tired and you know <laughs> using fine. their walkers 
Yeah, yeah. Mm. Stripper comes up uh, and just plays lullaby music and lays down and takes a nap naked on pretty, the stage. Pretty much. Or <laughs> actively putting her clothes on as she's doing her last dance. <laughs> I gotta get ready for bed. Just yep. goes to sleep right on the pole. Yeah. Like a parrot or something like, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just put a little blanket over her and goes to sleep. Yep. Uh, the leaders of the American Fur Company, uh, those guys didn't know jack shit about the territory. So basically, all they're doing is falling around the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. That's under Fitzpatrick and Jim Bridger now. Uh, basically, their plan was to give Astros guys the slip. So basically, they head to the Snake and Nez Perce territory. This is way further west, um, where they will rendezvous at Piers Hole, west of the Tetons there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shit, is this a good time to stop and maybe do part two? Yeah, probably. All right, so it's going to be one of those things uh, where folks uh, join us next week to uh, learn more about the proper Joe Meek. I'm sorry, is guys. It... I wasted so much fucking time on this episode. Like I said, it was entertaining. just has absolutely nothing to do with the Old West. So, you know, <laughs> no harm, no foul. Yeah. What you do is you listen to one Marconi song, and then you listen to a Joe Meek song. There you go. Good. Oh, yeah. Okay, so he has a he has a really cool compilation of... Uh, of um, uh, instrumental music, Will, that I think you would like. It's called Vampires, Cowboys, Spacemen, and Spooks. Makes sense. Yeah, it's really good. And then uh, when you guys get a chance, look up that uh, Screaming Lord Such. Um, uh, Jack the Ripper is the name of the song. And the first one that comes up is like the the, the live uh, video of them playing it live in front of a bunch of like square fucking, you know, teenagers. And just, he's like yelling in kids' faces and shit. But the music is so fucking... Like chill and hokey, yeah. There's a man walks the streets of London late at night. With a little black bag, that's also tight. He's got a big black cloak hanging down his Cool. Sweet. Uh, then in that case, um, we should do a hail of gunfire, and I will throw in um, like a like a suicide shot in the middle of it somewhere. Just a cool. just a shotgun blast to the head. Fuck you, Miles City. <laughs> and also Nelson Miles. 